Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to My Sermon Podcast. It is great to be back with you again this week, especially as we start a new sermon series here at Urban Village, and I will tell you a little bit about that in a moment. But first, let me read today's passage that we are focusing on. This is coming from the Gospel of Matthew uh, in chapter 3, starting with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 15. So here are these words. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. May the hearing and living out of this word be blessed by God. I have gotten interested in genealogy at various times over the last uh, 20 years or so and have gotten back into it the last two or three years if I've learned more about Ancestry.com. And for Christmas this past year, I received uh, one of Ancestry's uh, DNA kits, the one where you get the little tube and you spit into it and then you send it off. And a few weeks later, they send back to you or email back to you your uh, results of what your ethnic makeup is. I thought I had a pretty good idea of what that was. I know Kuhn is German, so I figured there'd be a German would be a high percentage of my uh, DNA, and a new Irish and English also would be up there. So I was surprised the number one uh, was Scandinavian. 44% apparently of me is Scandinavian, which I had no idea. I know there's some great-grandfather that had some Norwegian, but I had no idea it was so high. So it's a pretty interesting thing and dynamic and makes me interested to kind of learn even more about where the heck is the Scandinavian coming from? All of this, of course, just by spitting in a tube. I think part of the popularity of things like Ancestry and 23andMe is that we're interested in knowing more about ourselves. Now, one could argue that doing even more navel-gazing in our selfie society is the last thing that we need, but I think it's important to get a sense of just who we are. I started reading a book called White Awake, An Honest Look at What It Means to Be White by Daniel Hill. He's a pastor here in Chicago. And he notes that our identity is often informed by asking two questions. Who am I and how do I fit into the world? I think in answering those questions, it deepens our relationship with God too. And that's what we want to explore over the next three weeks. This sermon series that we're calling Knowing Me, Knowing God. Knowing our true self 
helps us to know who God is too. So all this is also in connection with our One Book, One Church offering this summer, and we're reading the book called The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey into Self-Discovery. So then after hearing that book that we are reading, your question, next question probably is, what the heck is an Enneagram? Well, on the website for The Road Back to You, it just, the Enneagram is described as an ancient personality type system with an uncanny accuracy in describing how humans are wired, both positively and negatively. It's been around for quite some time, has spiritual components too, and in recent years, more and more Christians are utilizing the Enneagram as a way to, for us to explore exactly who we are. So the Enneagram puts uh, us into, or teaches that there are nine different personality styles in the world. So however you assess yourself, or you can take an online test to get a sense of what your Enneagram type is, uh, each type or number uh, has a distinct way of seeing the world and an underlying motivation that influences how that particular type thinks and feels and behaves. And of course, like with any personality assessment, it doesn't tell the whole story, but I think it does a pretty good job of beginning to get at what are the things that make you tick and what are the shadow sides of you too. So the Enneagram is also, in addition to the nine categories, it's broken into what are called three triads. And this is going to be the model of our sermon series. We'll take a look at each of these triads over the next three weeks. So these triads are broken up this way is a way for us to look at how do we take in, process, and respond to life. So for example, uh, the numbers 8, 9, and 1 on this chart are broken into what it's sometimes called the gut triad. Numbers 2, 3, and 4 are called the heart triad, and 5, 6, and 7 are defined as the head triad. This is how we make decisions. Again, this is the American generalizations here, but for the people who identify as an 8, 9, or 1, often they are uh, led by their gut, their gut feeling, sometimes driven by power, control, and also anger. This is what we want to look at in our passage today, anger, because the people who are in those eight, nine, and one categories, uh, they have not cornered the market on anger. We all get angry. So we want to take a look at what this means. Like, how do we process anger and what do we do with it? So I want to uh, talk a little bit today or over these next few weeks as we look at these triads, we're also going to be looking at biblical characters. And today we're looking at John the Baptist. But before we get into John, I want to take a look at first, what does the Bible say about anger? One common verse that people lift up is from James. This is James 1, 19 and 20 that says, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. So after reading this, perhaps the first response that you have is, well, if anger does not produce God's righteousness, clearly the answer is do not get angry. But I think all you have to do is take a look at certain characters in the Bible, individuals, including Jesus, and you see, you know, it seems like people are are getting angry. So what do we do with it? Are we supposed to just not get angry? I think that's not the answer but instead to look at perhaps how some of these individuals use their anger. And that's why we're looking at the, this character of John first. So John is introduced in all four of the Gospels. And when I say Gospels, this is the first four books of the New Testament. And he's introduced pretty early on in each of them. So here in Matthew, we're learning about him at chapter 3. John is a preacher, prophet, forerunner of Jesus, founder of a movement, 
And as we can see in today's passage, he is not afraid to call out false teachings. And clearly, he is not thrilled with the behaviors of these particular groups of religious folks that are highlighted in the scripture, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But before we break down how John deals with anger, let's look at our own. So let's take a look at how do we respond to anger. Anger often is, if ever we have a, an unfamiliar or highly emotional experience, that tends to trigger neurological activity in our brains, that fight or flight um, response that we have. Stress hormones start building up inside us, and so often we respond in certain ways. As I noted earlier in that a gut triad, uh, they look at those personality types, the eight, nine, and one. So to use those as an example, number numbers eight tend to uh, really respond externally. Uh, eights are people who are, uh, they really live life to the fullest. They have lots of energy. They're the kind of people who say, you know, anything can be accomplished. And they tend to perhaps uh, externalize anger, maybe sometimes not so health, in healthy ways. Nines on the Enneagram scale uh, are called the peacemakers. And peacemakers, generally speaking, sometimes they aren't in touch with their anger. They forget about it. They're natural. Nines are natural mediators. They see lots of point of view and maybe they don't acknowledge that they do get angry. Ones are perfectionists. And these are the folks who uh, are good to have around, that they are able to live a life of service and integrity. They spot errors and imperfections, sometimes in good ways, maybe sometimes not in great ways. Ones, when it comes to anger, try to fix anger or maybe stuff it down uh, so that it's right below the surface. They tend to internalize anger. So regardless if, if you've taken the Enneagram and whether you're on one of those three uh, types, maybe one of those three ways makes sense to you. How do you deal with, how do you respond to anger? Well, I want to take a look today at John again and see how did he use his anger, particularly as we are reading about him in this passage from John or from Matthew. So I want to point out three things because I don't think John lets anger consume him. I think he deals with it in a pretty healthy way. First of all, and this is important to note that John is outspoken. I think when we say and deal with anger, we may think, well, you know, when we, when we have anger, we need to just take a step back and maybe acknowledge that we don't, we don't let ourselves get out of control. But it doesn't mean that we just stay silent. John is outspoken here. In fact, he calls these groups of people vipers. There's a biblical scholar who has this quote by saying that John, in using this word vipers, is saying that this is not just an insult, but, quote, it pictures as well the predatory poisonous false teachers who pervert the people. This is what John believes is happening with these two groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he's calling them out. You can just sense John's anger here, and he's letting it known that he is not thrilled with what's going on. But this is not the only way that John deals with anger. I think we see in other ways, too, how he deals with it. And the second thing is this, that he's humble. In Matthew, John does not let his anger override his own importance. So we see here in this text, uh, in Matthew, where John says in talking about Jesus that one there's one who's coming who is more powerful than I, more powerful than I, and he hesitates to baptize Jesus. John knows that he is not the center of the universe. And he doesn't let his anger get in the way of that. He does not let his emotions, his way of living out out of his gut, 
make himself the center of the universe. He recognized there's a humility about him too, saying, I am not the one. I am not the one who is going to truly bring in a new world. And then the final thing is that John is curious. And I think this is a really important thing for us to think about how we utilize our anger. I think it's important to take a step back and really ask some good questions. When we see ourselves or feel ourselves getting angry about ourselves and we begin to feel all those different hormones going on inside of us or our hypothalamus is beginning to trigger. And so maybe we need to just stop and say, what is this anger about? Is there something beneath all of these feelings that is making me this way? Or if we're angry at somebody else, perhaps, or if somebody's angry at us, I should say, are we able to be curious and ask ourselves some questions? Well, what is it about this that is beginning to, about this person? Why is he responding this way? Is there something below this that I'm not, I'm not aware of? There's a really great um, image I saw this week. There's an institute called the, the Gottman Institute. It usually works with couples and uh, in, in married couples and working on marriages. And there was um, this image called the, the anger iceberg. And it shows that often we see anger being lived out, but there's so much underneath. And this might be a, a way, and I'll put this image up on the Podbean page so you can take a look at it, in addition to the Enneagram uh, diagram too. There might be a lot here, and getting curious is a way for us to begin to ask ourselves the question, what is this anger all about? Is there more to it than just uh, at the surface level? So I think John is curious, as we see here, again, out of his humility, when Jesus asks or wants to be baptized by John, and John's reaction is, I, I, I need to be baptized by you. And then he asks a question, do you come to me? Why are you coming to me? John has a curiosity here. He doesn't let his anger overwhelm him. But instead, he's wondering what's going on in this scenario. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, John asks another question. John is imprisoned. No wonder that, or that would make anyone angry too. But he sends a message to Jesus and he wants to know, are you the one? Are you the one? Are we to wait for another? So there's this curiosity about John too, that I think it's helpful for us to, perhaps as we think about our own anger, as we ask ourselves, what is this anger about? Or... As we see somebody else getting angry at us, we might also, also, also ask the question, what is this anger that they're experiencing? Is this directly at me? Is this something else? So we ask those questions. So it's John's outspoken, he's humble, and he's curious. And I think these are really helpful ways to begin to think about, are we letting our anger overwhelm us? And also, are we letting our anger totally shut us down? John doesn't let anger do any of this. He still is able to speak out, but is still is able to keep his humility and his curiosity intact. I came across this really uh, interesting story this past week about these two um, men named uh, Matthew Stevenson and Derek Black. What caught my attention is because um, Derek Black was uh, raised in one of the most prominent white nationalist families in America. His father founded the web's first and largest white power website. In fact, David Duke was his godfather. So Black spent the first two decades of his life uh, helping his family's activism, running a political campaign, organizing conferences out of the, for, um, the white nationalists. He went to a college in Florida called New College. And when people saw or learned who he was, he started to face condemnation. But an interesting thing happened. 
he met a guy named Matthew Stevenson. Matthew Stevenson is an Orthodox Jew. And Matthew did a remarkable thing. He invited him to Shabbat meals. And he invited him again and again and again to the point where out of this relationship, in addition to other things, but out of this relationship, Black conceded that the ideology that he had fought so hard to promote was harmful, and he renounced the white supremacist movement. Now, I first read about this in a blurb in a magazine. It's one of those great stories that you read about, and you say, oh, how, how great. All it takes, all it takes is just inviting someone over to dinner, and that can make all the difference in the world. But as I read through this interview that... Um, Black and Stevenson were a part of. There was near the end of it, two things struck me. One was the fact that Black did not renounce white nationalism until two years, two years of after going to these Shabbat dinners, time after time after time. And they had conversations, but it wasn't two years later. So first, it tells me how long this whole process took. But the second thing, and there's this quote that Black makes that I want to lift up, and it goes back to the necessity for us to be outspoken. And he says this, Black says, I worry that my story gets told as a piece of evidence that the only way that you change people's minds is by having friendly conversations with them, when it's clearly not true. It's essential that you speak up loudly and condemn something that's wrong. And I think for him, he was saying there were two things that were going on here. It was the combination of people speaking at. Now, he'd heard all the arguments before, but that wasn't having much of an impact on him and his own beliefs, misguided beliefs. It was the combination of that offer of friendship, but also people were beginning to point out to him the, um, how incorrect he was on his own ideology. And I think that's a really important thing, that the people there, it wasn't just, let's all have break bread together and then everything will be made okay. People continue to be speaking out. And Stevenson also adds to this by saying, there's a difference between being vociferously opposed, in this case, to the white nationalist ideology and other hateful ideologies, and taking steps to harm an individual who subscribes to those ideologies. So here he's saying, Stevenson is saying, we're speaking out against the ideologies while not harming those who say them. So, Stevenson is saying to be strong is important, but there's a difference between being strong and violating the humanity of another person. That is so hard when we get angry, particularly when we see injustices being done in our world. How do we not respond in ways that let anger overwhelm us? And I think, hopefully, this is what John's model can be for us to be outspoken. When we are angry, it does not mean that we have to be quiet, that we have to stuff it down or just ignore it altogether. Instead, we can speak up. In fact, we should speak up. If we see someone being done or see something being um, done to someone else, especially if that person's on the margins, but also to make sure that when we do so, that we are not violating the humanity of that other person. That's a really hard thing. And it takes a lifetime, I think, to really to get at that. And that gets to that humility and the curiosity piece of what John showed too. To understand that this world does not revolve around me and to begin to ask the questions. Why is it? Why is it that this person is this way? I will continue to speak out while also being curious 
about that too, about myself and about the other. Anger is part of who we are. And sometimes it can lead to ways for us when we can bring about a more just society. Sometimes it can also overwhelm us and we respond in ways that we realize are harmful. But I think anger is part of who we are. And it's helpful for us as we begin to explore ourselves is to acknowledge that that is a part of us and to begin to ask ourselves, what is it about it that can be done or can be utilized in ways that uh, bring about good and not harm? I wish it was as easy as spitting into a DNA tube <laughs> that could help us to get, a, get in touch with ourselves, but I think it's, it takes longer than that. But in using John as an example, using John as an example who realized that Jesus is the one who will lead us to that place is a good start. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this uh, podcast. I will be, as I noted, uh, doing this sermon series over the next couple weeks. I will be off next week um, speaking at another engagement. Uh, but please tune in there. You can listen to the other uh, preachers at our other sites uh, and listen how they'll be looking at this next sermon. You can reach out to me, Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org or Twitter at Christian Kuhn or my website, christiankuhn.com. Uh, and you can learn more about uh, my ministry there. So until two weeks, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.